Well, I'm really excited today as we start our new series called I Love My Church. And I love my church in case you couldn't tell from this t-shirt, right? Uh, and I got bad news and good news about this t-shirt. It says I love my church, says Generation Church in the back. Uh, bad news is you can't buy this shirt. Yeah. The good news is that's because we're going to give it to you for free. Holla! You get a free shirt. You get a free shirt. You get a free shirt. Right? Everyone gets a free shirt! You have to come. You have to come on the third week of this series, though. This is the first week. You have to come on the third week. You have to be here to get your free shirt. We're not saving one for you. you got to come. All right? And while I have you on the line, I also just want to share some, some exciting news with you that my wife and I are getting ready to adopt a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Really just trying to do our part to grow the church. That's all that really is. Because we love our church. Amen? One thing is that some people don't know that you're allowed to love your church. I think some people don't realize that it's okay to love your church. And not only is it okay, but you should love your church because Jesus loves his church. Do you know that? And we're called to be like Jesus. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Right? Jesus loves the church. And I've met Christians who don't love their church. Honestly, I've met Christians who have the attitude like, well, I like Jesus, but I don't really like the church or they don't even maybe go to church. And here's the thing, just if you put it in context of like relationships, you can't say you love me and then be mean to my wife. Because if, if you're mean to my wife, we're not friends. Okay, I'll just let you know right now. Like if you drive by my wife broken down on the side of the freeway and you see her in need, and you're like, hey, hey, Ryan, I saw your wife broken down and you don't help her. Like we're not friends. You don't really love me. So you can't love Jesus and not love the bride of Christ, which is the church. And I would even answer this if you're asking yourself, well, how do I know if I'm loving the church well? The answer is, are you doing for the church what a good husband would do for his wife? A good husband protects his wife. He builds her up. He provides for her financially. He serves her. And he attends to her needs on a regular basis. Right? And that's how you love the church of Jesus Christ. The same way. Jesus loves his bride with everything that he has. And we're called to love the church with everything that's in us, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? So in this series, we're going to talk about the reasons we love Generation Church, and I'm going to articulate this in a way that will help give you some language to express to your friends and family why you love your church, because they're going to ask you, why do you, why do you go to church so much? Like, you know, it's cool that you're into God and all, but you go to church like every week. Did you catch that? Yeah, okay. Like, you go to church every week because that's how we do here. And they'll be like, like, are you like just like a crazy church, religious person? You'll be like, no, 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 you don't understand. I love God and I love my church. I love it. So I just want to kind of talk through why we love it in this series. Here we go. Week one. I love my church because my church is alive. I love it. Our church is so alive and healthy, and the Spirit of God is moving at Generation Church, isn't it? And so, in fact, it's one of my favorite things, listening to new people try to describe why they love their church. 
and they don't always have the words to articulate it. They'll, they'll be like, you know, I just love it. It's so like, boom, like pew, pew, yeah, come on, let's go. Let, like, they don't even know how, right? And like, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might say, you know, you sense the spirit of God is moving, uh, but, but it's alive because we're alive through Jesus. Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead because of your sins, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Okay? So we were dead, and Jesus brought us to life spiritually. But in some churches, you wouldn't know that because the people who go to church act like they're at a funeral. Okay? And I'm not trying to talk bad about other churches. I'm talking about what I love about Generation Church. It's alive in a special way. There is a unique anointing of God's Spirit on this church and on our people. So I'm saying, you know, it's alive. And and maybe you're like, well, how do you know it's alive, Ryan? How, How do we know? And I'll tell you, here's how I know. I know my church is alive because my church produces good fruit. That's one of the biggest indicators, right? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 18. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So the truth is, it doesn't mean anything to say your church is alive if the church isn't producing good fruit. There are some dead churches that produce no fruit, or you can tell that they're producing bad fruit, people that are mean and fighting and and divisive, right? Fruit is really evidence, and and that's what Jesus is talking about. There's evidence, and a live church produces good fruit for all to see, and here's what that fruit looks like. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Let's talk about the fruit, right? First is love. Love is the defining attribute of Christianity. Because Jesus was the manifested love of God for the world. And John says that our love for one another proves to the world that we are the disciples of Jesus. So that tells you that our love for each other should be a visible, tangible love. Okay, and then there's joy. I'm going to talk about that more in a second. And then there's peace. Christians should not be fighting with each other especially about secondary issues or preferences. And then if we do get in a little scrap because we're spiritual brothers and sisters and once in a while we get a little carried away, we should make up and forgive each other, right? And then there's patience. We should be patient with one another. We should be patient with new people who don't know Christ or they don't know a lot about what's going on at church. Like if you come to church and you don't know what's going on, that's fine. We're okay with that. Like, you don't, you don't know what's... Maybe you come to church, you're not even a Christian. Like, we're fine with that. We're, we're patient with people who are lost and don't know what God says is good. Like, they might be out in the parking lot smoking weed, and I'm okay with that, right? You're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'd rather have them smoking weed in the parking lot of church than in the parking lot of the strip club, you know? They're just, they're already one step closer to Jesus. We're patient. Plus, they'll come in and worship and be super chill. It'll be fine. (laughs) Then there's kindness. Christians should be kind in the way that we talk to each other and about each other. And we should be warm to each other as we greet each other. There's goodness. We're for what is good. And that's what God says is good, not what the culture says is good. We'd rather do what God says is good than what's popular. Amen? There's, there's 
faithfulness that is just persisting in our faith with the Lord. There's gentleness, and that's really cool. We should be gentle as we instruct and as we challenge and as we correct. We always should be gentle, not beat people into submission. And, and my prayer is that even when I challenge you, it's, it's gentle, and I'm praying to keep becoming even more gentle in life. Um, and then there's self-control, that we're overcoming addiction and lust and our temper problems and and I know maybe you're like, well, I'm not always good at that. And, and that's okay. You, you might not be perfect at this, but we need to be progressing at this. Amen? And you might not be where you want to be, but think about where you used to be. Right? Jesus is growing you, and he's helping you to develop self-control. And then there is the most important fruit that proves a church is alive, and that's when lost people come to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that happens all the time at Generation Church, and that proves the church is alive. That proves that the Holy Spirit is moving, because only the Holy Spirit can save a lost person. Only the Holy Spirit can bring a spiritually dead person back to life and make an enemy of God into family of God. It proves the church is alive. So can some of you fruity people give God praise with me right now? Yeah. That's the only time I'm okay with someone calling me fruity. <laughs> I know my church is alive, and I want to drill down into this because my church is full of joy. Yes. And joy, I think, is one of the coolest things about Generation Church. The people are filled with joy. Yes. And I would just say that if the church of Jesus can't be joyful, then nobody can. Because we have every reason to be joyful. Through Jesus, we have become recipients of the unconditional, everlasting love of God the Father. And Jesus, he taught us this. In John 15, he said, I have told you this so that, um, by, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, that's why he told us this truth, so that we could have his joy in us and that we could have complete joy. Christians are meant to be full of joy. And, and I want to just correct something, because I've heard pastors say that joy isn't being happy, and it has nothing to do with emotions, okay? Actually, that's not true. Okay, if it's true, if that was true, then I would say the Bible translators did a really bad job picking the word joy, because I don't know what you think about when you think about joy, but I think about happiness. And in fact, that is what it is. The Greek word for joy in the New Testament, kara, is exactly what you think it is. It means to be cheerful, to be glad, and to rejoice. For example, when the wise men saw the star in the sky in Matthew 2, it says, they rejoiced and they celebrated with great joy. Like, if that doesn't mean you're happy, what, is, what does it mean, right? Like, it's being uh, really glad about what God has done. And see, the difference between biblical joy and worldly happiness is that for Christian, joy persists in spite of your circumstances. Yeah. And even when your life is difficult, the goodness of what God has already done in your life gives you joy that will trump, that will outweigh the challenges of the difficult circumstances that are in your life today. You might go through a moment of sadness, but joy wins out because God's goodness is greater and what he's done is bigger than what you're going through. What he's going to do is so much more amazing than what you can even imagine. And so that's why joy wins out. 
And I know there are some people that are like, well, you know, Ryan, I'm just, I'm not emotional and Christianity isn't about emotions and we shouldn't let our emotions drive us. And I want to explain that emotions are actually a huge part of Christianity. It's funny that we like to think that we're all logical people who only make logical decisions and emotions don't affect us or motivate us in what we do. And that's obviously not true. Psychologists, sociologists tell us that. Common sense tells us that. If we were all purely logical, we'd all work out all the time. We would never overeat. We would never get into fights with people on the internet, right? But like, emotions do motivate us. And and the thing is that before we were Christians, emotions oftentimes led us into trouble. But Jesus changes our desires and emotions so that they lead us closer to him rather than further into sin. Okay, so he changes our desires and emotions. See, logic would say that nails held Jesus to the cross. But nails can't hold Jesus to the cross. Jesus could have come off the cross anytime he wanted to. He could have called 10,000 angels to step down and defend him. It was passionate emotion. It was love for us that held Jesus to the cross. We wouldn't be here without the emotional love of Jesus. And emotions are part of our soul. It's how God created us. If he didn't care about our emotions, he would have said, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. But that's not what he said. He said with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of you, everything that you you are and everything that you have. I don't know about you, but the fact that I was going to hell makes me pretty emotional. And the fact that now I'm not makes me even more emotional. Right. And, and I, I'm just being honest, but the only time in my life that I wasn't emotional about God is when I wasn't living for God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Be thankful. Notice that there's joyfulness and then there's thankfulness. They're connected. That thankfulness leads us to emotion, which is joy. And one reason that our church, Generation Church, is more joyful than usual, I think, is that because we have more people coming to know Jesus than a normal church does. And there are more people who are just in the middle of experiencing transformation. And the truth is that new Christians have an easier time being joyful about salvation than people who've been Christians for a while. I'm just trying to be real right now. I'm not trying to say what everybody wants to hear. I'm trying to tell you what the truth is, is that the further removed you are from salvation, the easier it is to take for granted what you've received and forget where you used to be. And once in a while, we have to stop and put ourselves in check and think back to what our lives used to be like and what God has done for us. I mean, how often do you stop and think about what Jesus has done for you? I'm just going to confess right now. There are some days I spend more time thinking about what I want to watch on TV and what I want to eat for dinner than what God has done for me. I mean, you got to stop and just think about the fact that the all-powerful God created the heavens and the earth just by desiring those things to exist. He created you not to just serve him, but so that he, wa- he could have a relationship with you. And then we as people use the free will that God gave us to rebel against him and break his laws. And God, rather than destroy us, decided to save us. All the angels in heaven were like, what? What are you doing? And God's like, I'm going to 
save them. And they're like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's crazy. And he's like, watch me, right? Like Jesus came to earth and died on the cross to take the penalty for the sins that you would commit, right? He rose again and he lives again and his spirit lives in you, which gives you victory to overcome sin and death. And then he didn't just like save you from hell. He didn't just pull you out of hell, but he leads you into an eternity in heaven with him where now you're not just a a child of God, right? You now receive all of the reward that Jesus has earned on your behalf. Like as you process this, it should lead you to be joyful. Right? And that joy should trump whatever is going on in your life, ultimately. And man, if you've forgotten that truth, what Jesus has done for you, man, maybe you've even been kind of far from God or dry for a while, you need to pray like David did and say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And he will. Now, most of you are joyful, and I can tell because you show it. You show it the same way that Christians have been showing it since the early days of the church. Going back to Acts chapter 2, we see with the first Christians, it says they worshiped together at the temple each day. They must have been pretty joyful to want to go to church every single day. Come on. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. See that generosity and joy are connected. All the while praising God, praising is like worship, but it's celebratory, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you think that maybe some of the reason that people wanted to be around these early Christians might have been because of how joyful they were? You know, nobody wants to be around a bunch of sad, boring, quiet Christians. Oh, it's like pass, (laughs) right? But these people I would want to hang out with, okay? So the fruit of an alive church is that it's filled with joy. And I want to talk about three ways to show and share your joy with other people, okay? Three ways to share your joy. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down so you can refer back to it. The first way to show your joy is with your face, with your face, and in case you didn't you know, pick that smile with your, with your face and your mouth and those muscles that are all around your mouth, like smile. You can smile. You're like, oh, I'm joyful in my heart. But your heart needs to tell your face that you're joyful. Because some of you have a stink face, right? And I wrestle with this too, right? Some of us just go about our business on a daily basis. We're busy and we just have this, this serious look on our face and we miss out on the opportunity to show love to people. Proverbs 15, verse 13 says, a cheerful heart brings a smile to your face. So it's weird to be joyful and not smile. There's actually medical benefits to smiling. You know, the doctors tell us that smiling lowers your blood pressure, and it actually changes your mood. It relieves stress. It strengthens your immune system. It reduces pain, and it's socially contagious. And so I read this while I was studying this week. I was up at the campground where our kids were at camp when they had an amazing time. And it was a long day. And like I was at my computer. My vision was getting blurry. And I had a headache. And I was like, I need a break. I need a break. So I went off and I went walking through the woods. Okay. And I, I was walking out there just trying to take a break. And I remember what I had just read that these, there's medical benefits to smiling. And I was like, you know, I should do, I should like, I should try this right now. And so I just like started smiling. I'm just by myself in the woods, walking around. And, and I'm not joking. As soon as I smiled, my headache went away. 
And it's not like voodoo magic. It's that I was sitting there at my computer like thinking. And as soon as I smile, all those muscles relaxed. And I felt better instantly. Right? Like, it's like the Bible knows what it's talking about. And so I'm, I'm like walking through the woods now, smiling like a big dumb idiot. And then because I was smiling, like, I don't even know what happened, but like, I just started thinking like, this was really funny. And I started laughing. Like, so now I'm walking through the woods by myself, like, ha, 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 trees, ha, ha, this is crazy, it works, right? And I know I look like a big goober, but I would rather be a happy goober filled with joy than a stressed out negative goober with a headache. So I'd say smile. You know, people are afraid of going to churches all the time because they're afraid that they're going to be judged because of the sin in their life. But if, you, if you're coming to church afraid of being judged, you should not be afraid of that. Because at Generation Church, the bigger of a sinner you are, the happier we are to see you here. Okay. It's true. And that's one of the reasons that new people feel so welcomed at our church is because we're joyful and we greet them with joy. Amen. Okay, here's the second thing. Show your joy with giving. Show your joy with giving. Most Christians, they start giving financially because they receive teaching from Scripture that talks about giving. And for some people, that might be easy to respond to. But for me, it wasn't. When I started giving, I did it out of a sense of duty because I wanted to obey God even though I didn't feel like doing so. And some of you started there, and that's, that's okay. That's a good place to start. But what I found, and what most of you have found, that, that as you start to give, it changes from something that you should do to something that you get to do. And you start to enjoy it, and it just like changes the way you think about money and giving. And now like when you get a raise or you get a bonus, you're like, sweet, now I get to tithe more. Some of you are like, people actually think that? Like, yes, it's true, right? It's like, it's a win for me. It's a win for the church. Win, win, win. I love it. Right? It's awesome. And so I want to encourage you, you know, to, to discover the joy of giving. And people at our church, they love to give. You know, most, most churches, the pastors are afraid to talk about money because there are so many people in the church with bad attitudes. And anytime money comes up, they're like, all the church wants is my money. But like at our church, y'all are crazy. Like we, we come up like, hey, it's time to worship the Lord with our giving of tithes and offerings. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, like here we go. I know new people are looking around like, what's wrong with you? So we show our joy with giving. And then third, show your joy with worship. Show your joy with worship. Because we're alive and filled with joy, we worship the Lord with joy. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament times, you see that the people of God um, in Israel, they worship the Lord with joy, with singing and bowing and clapping and hands raised and shouting and instruments like tambourines and cymbals, right? They got down. They partied. And then in the New Testament church, they had seen the resurrected Jesus, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they worshiped so joyfully that the apostle Paul had to write them a letter telling them to settle down. Like, you know you're having church when the pastor gets up and is like, yo, settle down. <laughs> you're crazy, right? Like, they were so joyful. And, and I think I'm really grateful that, that now today we have the freedom religiously to worship in our country. 
You know, there was a time in the early days of the church when people were persecuted. They had to gather in secret. I mean, it's hard to worship when you're gathered in secret, worried about getting arrested. Like you're there, like, we're getting bolder and louder because you make a not that loud. They'll hear us, right? Like you can't, it's hard to worship, but we get to worship today. And I'm thankful for that. I love my church because we worship with joy the way the Bible describes with celebration and loud music. So let me read to you Psalm chapter 150. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven, praise him for his mighty works, praise his unequaled greatness, praise him with the blast of the ram's horn, praise him with the lyre and harp, praise him with the tambourine and dancing, praise him with strings and flutes, praise him with a clash of cymbals, praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praise to the Lord. And in case you miss it the first 12 times, praise the Lord. So we sing loud, we clap, we raise our hands, we shout for joy, we jump, we bow, we physically express our joy because we're celebrating the victory that we have in Jesus, right? And like, I visited some churches before where there are great people there, but you look around the room and you're like, well, what, what's wrong with you guys? Like, did you, not, did you not hear what happened after Jesus went into the tomb? Yeah. Like, did you only get the bad news or did you get the good news? He's alive. Like, did you know he's alive? Because the way you're acting right now would make me think that you don't know that Jesus is alive. If God wanted quiet, serious, somber worship, he would have told us to stand there and be quiet and think about all the bad things that you've done. But instead, he said to sing for joy because of all the good things that he's done. In Psalm 66, verse 8, it says, let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praise. And sometimes people ask me, why does that music have to be so loud? And I tell them, because the Bible says so. (laughs) We're praising God. We're singing for God. We're clapping for God. We're shouting for God. Not for pastors, not for people on the stage, for God. This is how the Lord designed and created human beings to express joy, appreciation, and celebration. And we're just doing that for God. It's weird that we do those things in every other arena where people gather together to celebrate, but not in churches, okay? And there's a similar response that's appropriate to the preaching of God's word. When you hear people saying, amen, that's good, yes, mm-hmm, okay, preach that, all right, come on. Like They're responding to the Holy Spirit who's speaking truth to their hearts. And when you affirm with your mouth what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, it solidifies the truth in your heart and builds the faith of the people who are around you. So there's a purpose to it. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2, for example, it says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. That's the scripture of the Old Testament. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people sat there quietly with their thinking faces on. (laughs) That's not what it says, right? All the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, right? 
And like, I'm not saying you have to actually bow down and put your face in the ground, but that's like the most physical act of worship and surrender and glorification of God that you could really do. And that's what they were doing, right? Because I just think the word of God is too good not to respond to. Like when I eat steak at home, you know, I put that bite in my mouth and I'm just like, mmm, <laughs> it's just too good. I can't help it right? It's weird to receive the truth of God's word, the bread of life, and just be like, like it's, not, it's not natural, okay? It's not natural. And I know that there's some people that are like, but pastor, I, I'm receiving it, and I don't need to say anything. God knows I'm receiving it. He does know. He knows what's going on in your heart. But if he didn't care about what you did with your mouth, he wouldn't have given you a mouth. If he just wanted to read your thoughts, he would have told you in the Bible to sit there and think about what he has done. But instead, he told you to sing and to praise him in the sanctuary. And it's really hard to praise the Lord in silence and in stillness, right? We're supposed to respond to the good things that God has done. And we see that example hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture, it says in Psalm 95, verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And, and some of you have never been in a church where they do that before, right? Some of you grew up in a church where the only person who raised their hands during worship was the crazy cat lady that everybody kept their kids away from. Like, no, don't go near her. She's, she's weird, right? And like... like and people maybe wonder, why, why is that? Why is it that Christians got that way? Like, how do they get that way where, where they're so quiet and somber in worship? And there's a lot of history behind that I wish I could talk about. But the short answer is it was largely in response to pagan worship, the worship of idols and false gods. It tended to be very loud and demonstrative. And so early Christians said, well, if pagans worship that way, it must be bad. So we should do the opposite and be still and quiet and reserved. Does that make any sense, though? Right? That'd be like saying, if pagans have sex, we should not have sex. And you know that ain't right. Right? Or is it like every other good thing where God created a good thing and the devil twisted it and uses it for evil? And see, the devil wants to capitalize on the celebration of demonstrative worship as long as it's aimed at anyone else other than God. He, he wants to get you celebrating at a rock concert and at a football game, as long as it's not towards God, and God wants to redeem the good, passionate, celebratory worship that he created, he wants us to give it to him. And there's a lot of people that they struggle. They, they don't want people to think they're weird, and, and so they worship God in silence, and they're reserved, and they just think, you know, well, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm crazy. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I want people to take me seriously. And it's like, you look serious, bro. You look seriously uninterested in worshiping God right now. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, you know, I, I hope I can challenge you that way. And I know there are people that are like, I'm not convinced that I need to worship that, that way and like raise my hands and say amen and do all that stuff and demonstrate outwardly because God knows what's in my heart. And I know he does know, but it's weird to keep joy stifled in your heart. It's kind of like this. I want to show you a celebration uh, or an illustration here. Illustration of celebration. Just bear with me. Okay. So it's kind of like this, right? You see what I got here? Okay. What's this? It's a tree. What's this? How do you know that this is a Christmas tree? Right? Because of the outward physical demonstration of celebration. Right? 
for all you know, this is also a Christmas tree. You just can't tell yet. But you just have to look at this and you know what it is, right? See, I think there are a lot of Christians who they really love God, but you wouldn't know by looking at them. And I just don't think you should have to have a deep conversation with me about what's hidden in the depths of my heart to figure out the affection of my heart. I think you should be able to just look at me and see that guy loves Jesus. That guy is about Jesus. That guy is passionate for what God has done in his life. Right? The world shouldn't have to wonder what we're about. We know what our purpose is, and everyone can see it, right? And you're ready for Christmas now. It's Christmas in July. It's getting cooler already. Like, I sometimes challenge myself this way. Like, what would God think if he was watching me worship with the sound on mute? Would I look like I love him based on my actions and the countenance of my face? Or would I look bored? I want it to be obvious to the whole world. And I think for our church, it should be obvious that we love Jesus. We're not trying to worship like undercover Christians. We're not hiding like first century Christians. We want our joyful worship to testify to the goodness of God as we praise his name with great joy so that lost people, when they come into our midst, they know surely God is among these people. They they know. So listen, like if you're like one of those dudes and you've been coming to church for a while, you're like, yeah, you know, but like just worshiping God that way, like the hands thing and all that, you know, it just just feels weird to me, man. Like, and and I don't want people to really think I'm weird. And and I just want to tell you, bro, like you are weird. Okay. If you're a Christian, you're already weird, right? You think that there's a guy who's actually God who died for you and rose again and is going to lead you into an eternity in heaven. That's weird. So you might just worship like a weird guy. Right? And I would just say, like, it's better to to worship like a weird guy who's going to heaven than look like a cool guy who's on his way to hell. Right? That's just my opinion. So why do I raise my hands during worship? Why do I sing for joy? Why do I celebrate? Because all I do is win. No matter what. I got Jesus on my mind. I can never get enough. And every time I come into the building, my hands go up, right? I'm victorious through Jesus. That's how we celebrate victory. And the Bible says to, which is the most important reason. It says in Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. It's a physical sign of just blessing and worshiping the Lord. We're victorious. It's not weird. What's weird is to celebrate a touchdown more than your Savior. And I know there are people like, man, yeah, but that joyful worship doesn't feel authentic to me. And I want to be authentic. And I want you to be authentic as well. I want you to be authentic to who you are in Christ, not who you were before Christ. Right? And I know like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to push you out of your comfort zone, right? And that's okay. Uh, it's the same way that like smiling actually makes you happier. It's true that worshiping with passion makes you more passionate about Jesus. Just like you can't be generous until you start giving, you won't feel like a true worshiper until you truly worship. And if it's a bit out of your comfort zone, that's a good thing because some of you are comfortable non-worshippers. And I want to help you become comfortable worshipers. 
That's what God wants. Like you can tell people who aren't comfortable worshiping because they need like a long warm-up period. You know, like I can tell who they are. Like they always come to church late, sometimes on purpose. Like they're coming in during the first song just to cut down that worship time. Like I just got to say, if some of you brought your kids to school late as often as you bring them to church, you'd get arrested in some states for truancy. Like you might have to have a family meeting about how to get to church on time. Okay, I don't know who that's for, but it's for someone today, right? And then like people who aren't comfortable worshiping, they come in during the second song, and then the first whole second song, like they're just like getting settled, they're just catching their breath, like we made it. Oh, there's Susie. Oh, okay. And then like during the third song, they're like okay, I'm feeling this. And then during the fourth song, they're like, all right, like the stars are aligned and I like this song, so I'm gonna worship now. And then it's over. And they miss like 95% of the time of praise and worship. Like, like the thing is like physically when you get older, it takes longer to warm up. But spiritually, when you become more mature, it, you can warm up and like just go from the beginning. Like you just go from the first note. You just worship. You don't need a warm up. Like the first note drops and you're like, here we go. Let's do this. Right? That's just like a sign of spiritual maturity. So I want to encourage you in that. It says in Psalm 95, verse 2, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Right? Like, I'm going to come in the doors with thanksgiving in my heart, ready to praise the Lord. You don't got to warm me up. The worship pastor doesn't have to beg me to worship God. I'm ready. You can't stop me. Right? That's what a comfortable worshiper looks like, man. In your car, in your house, in your shower, you just worship that way because it's how you do it. So I'm not saying you have to be a joyful worshiper to get into heaven, but when you're going to heaven, why wouldn't you be joyful in your worship? So in Matthew chapter six, I'm coming to a close here. The disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. And many of you know, he said, pray this way, Matthew 6, verse 10. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to pray for heaven to come to earth. How many of you know that in heaven, it's exactly the way God wants it? Heaven is the way God wants it to be. There's no sin in his presence. There's no more lying or sickness or disease or death. In heaven, God gets it like he wants it. And eventually we'll experience that on earth after Jesus returns. But for now, we're supposed to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as humans, we can't always bring every aspect of heaven to earth. Like people still die in our lives, you know, and eventually they're going to live in heaven forever with Jesus. But we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, okay? So I just want you to think about that for a second. That's supposed to be our desire, to want heaven on earth. You following me? Okay, so then God gives the disciple John a vision of heaven in the book of Revelation. And so we see a lot of what heaven looks like. And we see a lot about what, what worship looks like in heaven. So I'm going to read Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Our worship teams are going to come back to the stage. But it says this, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne 
throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belongs to our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay. This same type of scene plays out in Revelation chapter 5 and in Revelation chapter 19. So it's not just a one-time thing, but they sing, they bow, they roar loudly, they show their love for God through extreme physical demonstration. They sing amen, they shout hallelujah. This is how heaven worships God. And like I said, we can't make every aspect of heaven a reality on earth. Eventually, Jesus will. But one thing we can do is bring the type of worship that is happening in heaven to earth. We actually have the power to bring the glory of heaven to earth through our worship. We can worship God in his house the way that he is worshiped in the throne room of heaven. It's up to us to choose to do so. Right? We can actually show God this type of, wo- of love by worshiping him this way. And why wouldn't we, right? When Jesus is alive, he's alive and his spirit lives in us. And so we're filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just encourage you today to step into a deeper level of worship for God. To let your joy show through the way that you treat people, through the way that you serve and give, and through the way that you worship God because he's alive and we're alive, right? So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet at this time, whatever location you're at, just stand and get ready to worship. And I'm just going to close your eyes right now and then just individually focus on God. Just think about him right now. And I think sometimes that we come to these moments in church where we stand there and we say, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to do something to me now. I'm waiting for your spirit to make me feel a certain way or to show me a sign that you're alive, that you're here, and that you're moving. We're waiting for God. And I I would tell you that I think oftentimes the Holy Spirit is waiting for us. And he's waiting for us to make a move. He's waiting for us to worship him regardless of how we feel. He's waiting for us to desire him more than we did yesterday. And he's saying, go ahead. Worship me now. If you love me, seek my face. Lift up your heart to heaven. Praise your king. And he does promise us that as we worship him, he will respond to us. So let's worship God today with all that we have. Let's lift up a sacrifice of praise with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. Come on, let's worship him.